season, so this is a little more, more uh, appropriate for, uh, for what we're here for today. Um, the way that I'm going to uh, lay out my, my uh, little talk today is that I'm going to do a little more um, context into who I am and my story, because I think context is important. Then I'll get into the meat of my uh, presentation, talking about um, tree planting in small towns and rural municipalities, and then um, assuming there's time, we'll have a little Q&A session if anyone has questions. So, a little bit about me. Um, so I grew up on a farm, uh, as Joan said, between Malibu and Teeswater. And it's funny that my mom's here so she can vouch for this, but I, I never actually, I would like to say that like I was exposed to nature and all that growing up and that I just held on to it and that really got me passionate about it, but that's not at all what happened. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it was just, it, it, it never really came natural for me, and I was just a mess for a long time. And eventually, when I decided I had to go to college, I found um, a one-year certificate program, which was urban forestry. And that was the first urban forestry program that was offered in Canada. Um, the first day of class, what they teach you is uh, to learn some of the species. And funny enough, funny enough, the first species that they taught us was the Norway maple, which is not is actually probably the worst species in Canada because it's not native and invasive. And I know there's a lot of tree um, literate people here, so that know about the impacts of that species. But the next day, when I was walking to class, I was walking down the road, and every Norway maple on the road stood out to me. So I got kind of addicted to this. Um, feeling of knowing what's around me. As I learned more species, everything else started popping up more and I started being aware of my surroundings more and more. And I think it's like any industry, whether you're in the building industry or farmer and you're driving around, you know all the crops around you, or if you're in the builder and you know all the different types of buildings, just getting a foundation of knowledge allows you to see what's around you and enjoy your surroundings. And, as I have learned my shrubs and my flowers and the grasses and the birds and the insects and all that, now I can just stand on a street corner and just be there for hours and be amazed what's around me. But I don't do that because I would look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Bill uh, asked me, and I do want to say, by the way, thank you for Bill and Joan for inviting me um, to come talk today. Uh, they're such positive people. And also, just with all their experiences, um, they've taught. I'm, it's always so knowledgeable um, being around them, and they've been such great hosts as well. And I was also talking to her too. Thank you guys for having me, um, because just looking at your schedule, it makes me want to be a part of Probus. <laughs> I wish my life was half this exciting. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Bill asked me to come and talk about uh, why tree planting is important in rural, uh, small towns and rural mun municipalities. And I feel like it's actually kind of a really weird conversation to have. And I say that because I feel like at this point and at this age in 2019 that we all pretty much know that trees are good. I don't know if there's anyone here that actually feels that trees are evil or bad. <laughs> so I kind of have a pet peeve though. For people in my industry, um, when they come and talk about tree planting, it's so abstract a lot of times. Like I went to one talk a while ago and the, the fella, who like I love him and this is good, but he was still saying like, 
Well, when you look out your window, if you're sick in the hospital and you see a tree, there's like a 20% chance that you might feel a little bit better. And like, that's, that's great, but it's very abstract and hard to grasp, grasp onto. So what my objective is here today is instill a little bit more um, practicality and urgency and patriotism into uh, tree planting. So, all right. Okay, so this is Ontario, and we live in a really special place in the world. We're in a transition zone. So just above us is the Boreal Forest, and that stretches all the way to the Yukon, and just below us is the deciduous forest. That goes all the way down to the southern United States. And we're in this transition zone between the deciduous and coniferous. Um, so ecologically, it's very important. But there's another reason that this area is so special. And as you may know, that's because we have the most productive agricultural land in Canada. And that's the backbone of our economy. It's the reason we're the powerhouse of Canada. And it's the reason that Toronto is, is so prosperous and Ontario is so prosperous, prosperous is um, because of our agricultural land. So keeping that in mind and the economy at the forefront, we want to enhance and make our agricultural land as efficient as possible. That should be always be our objective so that we can stay rich and healthy. Um, so this is what our landscape looks like now. And you might be driving around and wondering, why is it that we have these patches of trees um, on our landscape? Is it just that the farmers out of the goodness in their heart just keep it, you know, keep these patches? And if so, why wouldn't they just clear the land and start farming it? Because it would mean more money for our area. But the, the truth is, is that we've been down this path where there's a th certain threshold that our landscape has where the trees need to be on the landscape to hold the soil and to stop water runoff from taking the soil and the wind also takes the soil. And if you're wondering what that threshold is, is that we've actually been down this road. And this is a picture of Sauble Beach or, or the Sauble Beach area. So. When we started settling the area, it was clear, 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 farm, 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 which makes sense. But then we hit that threshold where we cleared too many trees off the landscape and the farms, the soil started getting swept away with the wind and water and uh, farmers started having major crop loss. So after um, that desperation, that uh, this is in the 1920s, the MNR got established and started tree planting on marginalized um, land, and we started bringing our landscape back to the health that it is today. So I said I was gonna say very practical in this, but just before I do that, there's one thing I wanna say about this picture, is that I know that everyone here, when they look at this picture, feels like this is home. This is, this is Bruce and Gray County's identity, and it's so important that we keep this because it's really who we are. But when we, and if, this, if, if that was the only thing that these trees were doing, that would be good enough to advocate for planting for them. But there's so much more that um, we need to look at them and think, what are, what are these trees actually doing that we see along our roadsides and we kind of take for granted that they're just always there in the background of all, of all we're doing in our lives. So one of the things that trees do is birds like to nest in them and some birds like to nest on the top, some like to nest in the middle, some like to nest in the bottom, depending on what their species are and what their age is. Some like to just eat on the seeds, some like to build nests, whatever they're using it for. 
and you might be wondering why we care about birds. And if you think about what they eat, they eat a lot of insects, and insects eat a lot of crops. So having this balance between um, uh, the food web of making sure that insects stay in control and that crops stay healthy is very important to have birds and also for all the other benefits. Another one of their benefits is that right now you can see there's no leaves on any of these trees. So they all dropped into the fields surrounding them. And we're not harvesting corn or beans or um, oats or whatever we're growing, we're harvesting the soil. So the soil is the most important resource that we have. And although you can spread manure on your farm and enrich the soil that way, leaves and organic, and organic matter enrich the soil in other ways. They have specific minerals and nutrients. So adding that soil and enriching the, the soil is, is an important part that trees play in, um, in our agriculture. Also, and, and, and again, every tree, um, if you think of the surface area of the leaves of one tree, it's a significant amount of organic matter that's going into the soil. Um, and then also, each one of these trees, once they come to the end of their lives, will pr produce wood products. Most farmhouses are wood stove, and actually a lot of the houses in Hanover are as well. So by having trees available, um, along the roadside on a farmer's property allows them to harvest the trees and not have to go to a store and buy it. So they're literally, I don't know how much um, affordable wood is nowadays, but say each tree is worth $30 and you look at all these trees, that's a lot of money sitting there and it allows the farmer, the landowner to have more money and it enriches everyone um, in the community downstream because of that. And again, that's why every single one of these trees matters. Um, and then it also has other economic um, opportunities like our timber industry is important around here, maple syrup, and also hunting as well because habitat again is so important. So I just want to instill that, um, that idea of the carrying capacity and how each tree is important in playing the role. Um, then I also mentioned before about how trees hold the soil, but um, one other thing that they're doing is that they're pulling water out of the ground through this process called transpiration. So they pull water out of the ground and they release it through their leaves. And when they release it through their leaves, they create moisture in the air. And um, in, when the air is really moist, it rains more. So the more trees there are, the more it will um, rain. And rain is important for crop growth as well. So they play such an integral part in agriculture. And each one that we have enriches our agriculture, which is the backbone of our economy. And we've seen it's either this or this. And if I was to boil down everything I'm saying, it's just, it, it's abundance. Each tree creates economic abundance. In <coughs> so they're really important. Um, the other thing um, I wanna talk about is just the influence of planting a tree at all scales. So there's, you can think of when you put a tree in the ground, there's the microclimate, then there's the landscape scale, and then there's the global scale. This is a tulip tree I planted in downtown Formosa. And you can see as soon as I put this tree in the ground, it starts casting a shadow. And it starts to change its surroundings. It introduces new uh, microbes into the soil. It starts dropping its leaves, adding organic material into the soil surrounding it. It changes the wind patterns. And 
it, this isn't a great example because of the areas being mowed, but a lot of times it can start some really important um, ecological processes. So the way that the conservation authorities will do when they have a, a piece of land that's cleared and they want to reforest it, a lot of times they don't always do this, but a lot of times they'll plant it completely full of spruce trees and they'll put it really, really, really close together. They'll let them grow to be about seven years old. They'll harvest a bunch of them, sell them all for Christmas trees. And then that creates a bit of shade underneath and different trees, depending on how um, old of a forest they like to grow into, will like more shade than others. So the more weedy species like full sun, but the more sensitive species like sugar, maple, beech, they like um, more shaded. So as those um, initial spruce grow up and they have, uh, what will come up naturally underneath them is the sugar maples and the beech. And as they keep the conservation, we'll start move, removing the beech and the sugar maples, and then underneath, or I mean the, the spruce as they grow up, and eventually at the end of the climax forest, the hemlocks will start growing up when the canopy is almost completely covered and there's complete darkness underneath. So it sets off this set, um, this process, what we call ecological succession. Looking at the landscape scale, so this is a picture of an aerial Hanover, and funny enough, um, like when I when I said that I took urban forestry, it sounds like an oxymoron, but the truth is, is that urban areas are actually the best places for forests, especially in agricultural communities. And if you look at Hanover, it besides the roads, it almost looks like a forest. So ensuring that we plant every space that we can. And remember, we have the most or the most productive soil in Canada. So we need to start getting really serious about how we um, use our land and using every space that we can. So if Hanover's doing really well, we have a lot of tree canopy and it's also adjacent to this natural area. So besides all the benefits that it's providing to people like blocking UV protection and controlling storm water, um, it's very important for the movement of animals, insects, and plants because if you imagine there's like an open field but then there's one row of trees on the outside of that field, the animals will always take the row of trees. They'll never, animals, whether it's a butterfly or a deer or a, or a rabbit, they'll never just run across the open field. They always like to take those corridors. So by adding, um, by, by planting trees in urban areas, if your property is the one that's missing a tree on your street, it might be the gap in the canopy highway that all the animals and insects and birds travel through. So it's important to ensure that connectivity through the landscape. And then just at a global scale, um, a lot of our pollution comes from the southern states, but also a lot of the um, good that we do here um, goes through all the world and with global warming and all that, um, it makes impact, impacts um, everywhere. And, I just finished reading um, Carl Sagan's last book before he passed away, and he was an astrologist. And one of the things that he said that really resonated with me is that he said, we have reached deep into the universe and we've studied billions of planets, but yet on the, fines, uh, the thin skin of one planet, we're the only known form of life. And it's so special to be alive. And given its rarity, being a uh, Fighting for the future of life on Earth is the most important and noble of causes. And I always show this picture to people that 
don't think that trees are important. So if you take a cup and you put it over a plant, the plant will die. If you take a cup and you put it over the rat, the rat will die. But if you put the plant and the rat together, they survive. And it's because we breathe out carbon dioxide, but the plants breathe in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen and we breathe in oxygen and, and um, release carbon dioxide. So going back to talking about the landscape and saying there's this threshold where if we remove one too many trees, we start losing everything and it impacts our economy substantively, is that we wanna build a contingency as big as possible to move away from that threshold because we don't wanna ever go back there again. We learned our lesson, we went through that desperation, all those tragic times. Um, so we wanna build that contingency as much as possible. And that's one of the things that I learned um, during my schooling is that Yes, I, I liked to learn about um, ecology and I really enjoyed getting, like, learning my plants and building that knowledge, but when you really um, go back to the root cause of a lot of the tragedies in the world, whether it's crop failure in India or disease outbreak in Lagos, Nigeria or the water, water crisis, the mismanagement of natural resources, the source of so much heartbreak in the world. So when I paired what I love to do with what I want to change in the world, that really lit me up. So that's why um, I've been working through my career um, trying to move the needle on sustainability as much as I can. And this just shows so clearly on how important all this is. So just to summarize, trees create economic abundance, trees influence all scales, and trees improve the quality of the environmental medium that we depend on for survival. Uh, these are a few actions for impact that I suggested um, for people back here. So understand and protect government agencies that protect trees and protect forests. We are blessed here in Ontario to have every component of the environment protected and regulated by an agency. So the air, um, the Ministry of the Environment, the forest, the Ministry of Natural Resources, um, water uh, conservation authorities. So we need to understand the spirit of the legislation behind them. And if anyone's had a bad experience with one of these agencies, you need to um, not throw the baby out with the bathwater and try to um, make advocate for efficiencies. But what happens is myths will spread sometimes. And we need to be sure to go to the source about what they're trying to advocate for and what they stand for, because myths will generate into um, us losing these precious um, protections of our natural environment because they don't have the same amount of lobbying power that some people that are looking for short-term profit have. So um, I often think if I got really rich one day, I would just come back and make a marketing agency for these people to advocate for what they do every day. And then the next action for impact is efficiently use land. Uh, going back to, again, we have the most productive land in Canada. We need to use not even just every square, but every square millimeter. Get really serious about what we have here and use our resources so that we can all be richer and healthier. So plant all urban areas and grass is kind of an affront to the precious land and productive land that we have here. We should every um, we should be have, every piece of land should have a tree, a shrub, or be farmed, or have something on it that's actually producing something um, important for us or our native ecosystems. Um, on farmable land or along the roadside. So what I showed um, back here, 
this is going away. These are all really old trees, and there's the trees that are being planted now are Norway maples or whatever non-native species. This is going away. There's no one out there planting long roads of sugar maples anymore. Well, it kind of happens a little bit, but not on the mass scale it needs to be. So that's the other thing is if I got rich, I would make the marketing agency for the, these government agencies, and I'd also start the roadside tree planting again because we're going to lose the character of what makes um, Gray and Bruce County so beautiful. And then plant native species only. So species have evolved for thousands of years with our climate, our local climate, and with our in, in, in tandem with our biodiversity. So when we start using species from Europe or other areas of the world, they're not they're not planting our species over there. So we're getting rid of our species, our local species, and planting their species and. It's, it impacts the whole food web because the pollen is different, the food, uh, the habitat type is different, the, the seed source is different, and it all has major ecological impacts downstream. So the best thing you can do is use native species. And although um, it's, it's controversial, climate change, biodiversity loss, all these issues that we face are making us all raise our standards a lot. So all those tulips that we're planting in the spring, all those um, hollyhocks, those are non-native species, so we need to look at ourselves and look at our nurseries and see what's available that's native and start getting a, um, a lot more serious about what we can do for our ecology. Uh, one last thing I wanted to ask, just for my own data and just and to be really serious, because no, I don't think anyone's going to judge, well maybe someone will, but I won't, but if, uh, if you could raise your hand if you have planted a tree ever in your life. <laughs> yeah, so ever, so you can see around, we've planted a whole forest just here in our room, and that's only if we've just planted one tree each. And I just wanted to say, behalf on my generation, is thank you guys for, for planting trees, because I think it's so easy for us with all the problems that we face to come to come hard on the generation before us. But if we look at the landscape and you see all these trees that are around and the agencies that exist, and it's all because of the people that you guys have elected and the hard work that you've done over your entire lifetime. So I definitely want to say thank you and appreciate that. Um, and then just the last thing I want to say is please, this year, this spring 2019, consider um, planting as many trees as you can afford so that everyone in Bruce and Gray County and in this room can be um, richer and healthier. Thank you. The ash beetle that's invading Ontario right now, and is there anything that we can do to stem the tide of that? Yeah, so the emerald ash borer has basically come through already. It's at the point now where it's, it's at a, a post-mortem assessment now, it, they're, they're almost all completely gone, all the ash trees. There, there was a lot of um, things that were done to try to slow the spread, but it was such an aggressive, invasive species that it almost completely wiped, wiped out the ash trees. So what seems to be happening, and a lot of times people jump to try to solve these issues, they were talking about like releasing a wasp and different kinds of things to introduce other predators to this species. But a lot of times when people do that, they cause all kinds of other ecological problems. And it's at the point now where almost, it, it, it was complete devastation. Um, I was working as a project manager for Forest Health um, in charge of the Emerald Ash Borer Management in Hamilton when that happened. 
and we would take down 50 trees a day, mature trees, and they would just be completely, you would see them full leaf, and then the next week they'd be bone dead. So it was devastating, but the nice part is now, well the optimistic part, not nice part, is that most of their food source seems to be gone because all, a lot of the ash trees are, are dead, including within our forests, not just in our urban areas. And I think the theory is that hopefully the populations of the emerald ash borer start to die off because their food source is starting to die off. But because ash is such an aggressive early successional species, they still grew up. You'll still see them in the forest popping up everywhere. So hopefully as their populations decline, the ash will start to come back. But it, it, there's a long road ahead of us and there's a lot of research that needs to be done. But it's past the point of trying to slow it down or um, do much about it that would be impacted by that. But there's been several outbreaks around Mississauga that have been completely er eradicated. So as soon as they find that um, one tree is infested, they'll clear all trees within a seven kilometer radius of that, or a certain radius of that infested tree that and ensure the population is controlled, but it's a continuous threat. And that's the threat that we face is that with globalization, now there's all these species that are being complete, that are being introduced to our ecosystem all the time. And having more trees and building resilience on our landscape has never been more important because of all of these pressures that we face. Just a question about um, like government or corporate um, access to things. Um, my, my question basically is that I live on a rural road and um, last year either one came along and literally cut down every single tree along the road. Didn't take away, they, they left everything on the road. And then uh, they came around the other side of my property where I've got a right of way uh, for the hydro wires. And they cut down every single tree. Um, is there anything that can be done to, to get them to maybe just trim the tree or uh, just trim around where the wires are rather than cut down in the yeah, tires? Yeah, 100%. And that's a challenge out, in the, out here in the rural areas that you don't know what you have until it's gone, right? And out here, because we have a lot of trees around and especially because there's been so much building and we're, we're, we're 50 years away from the last tragedy that happened, so we start to get comfortable with our surroundings. And in places in Toronto, People take every tree so seriously because you don't know what you have until it's gone. So what you could do is start being loud and professional at the same time with actually, you know, providing good reasons and alternative um, options to their work, but having that pressure on them rather than them doing work that you don't think is justified and just not having anyone saying that, but by saying stuff, writing through MP, putting that pressure on and being loud about it gives them that pressure on them to start being aware about minimizing their impact because it is a lot easier to just if you want to widen the road to just cut them all down right but when there's they know people are watching and they know there's a demand for it because you can't blame them if, if they don't really understand you know a lot of engineers or whatever they don't come at it as a ecological perspective so if they have that um, that that voice behind them knowing that they need to think about it it really makes a big difference they said they didn't have time to just trim, so... Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and you'll, you'll get all kinds of, you know, reasons, but your voice adds to that. It, it makes a difference over time, especially if more and more people do it. So just having your voice know, they know someone's watching, right? So 
it, it, we do live in a democracy and that each voice makes an impact. So that's what I would say is just be loud and professional. Could you suggest a tree that uh, we could replace the maples with? We could be planting now that's native? I would definitely not do that because this is, yeah, this is like the, the, the question of the age, but if you think of our natural forest, of what existed here before we urbanized and cleared all the land, it would have been a lot of sugar maple, beech, hemlock, cedar, that kind of forest, and that's what our goal should be to restore it. Sugar maple and red maple were significant portions of the canopy, and we should try to protect as it from insect uh, devastation as much as possible, but there should be a contingency from southern growing zones and in, in, in anticipation for climate change and for insect infestations. So I would say plant the majority of native species, plant some species from southern climate zones, from the um, Carolinian forest, to allow a bit of resilience in order to um, embrace for the impacts of climate change and to add a bit more diversity to our landscape. But those non-native trees from uh, Europe and other places just aggravate the problem. So is that why you say not the Norway maple? Yeah, so the Norway maple is from Norway, but it has, there's two different kinds of trees. So there's non-native trees, so a tree from Europe or from Asia that we can plant here. And the problem with those is they impact our ecology. There's different food sources, different habitat type, but, that, but they don't really get into our forest. They just impact the food chain. There is then invasive species. And invasive species, if you plant a bunch of Norways on a road and there's a forest beside it, the Norway maples will get into the forest. They'll take over the understory completely. And you, there's been so many studies on this where you'll see them slowly grow up, grow up, and all those sugar maples or whatever was there, basswood, whatever was there, will be completely gone in 50 years and it'll be all Norway maple. So they actually go out and seek our natural ecosystems and take over. So invasive, non-native invasive species are the worst, but we still need to move away from all non-native species and try to restore our natural landscape. Yes? It's not uh, no, Dutch elms still exist, but they've made um, some, res some resistant cultivars because it's been long enough, there's been a lot of research and money put into it, so they do have a couple um, cultivars that exist that seem, that seem promising. So there's some out there and you might start seeing them at the nursery over the next five years or so, which is, which is a good thing, but they'll never come back to the populations that they had. And, it's there, they kind of have a similar story as the ash. If you go out to the forest, you'll still see elms out there, just not what they used to be, and they're just, they're, they're not used as street trees um, like they used to be too. So things are looking better for them um, with the, the resistant cultivars that they made, but it's still uh, up in the air. <laughs> Good soil? 
yes, there's a lot going on in that question, but um, so yeah, in my position right now, I'm working on the Parkland strategy, which is a 20-year plan that is guiding um, the enhancement and expansion of parks in Toronto through all the development pressures that are happening over the next 20 years there. A lot of that is trying to purchase land for parks, but as far as going onto the green belt, that's outside of Toronto, that's into Vaughan and all those areas. So um, on my work, I can't speak to that, but just as far as um, my credentials in urban planning and urban ecology, of course, density of urban areas is so important, especially in Toronto and Guelph and um, Home Sound and any areas that are surrounded by, again, our most precious resource, our agricultural land, to go and build homes on it. Um, definitely seems counterproductive, so if we can um, increase density within our urban spheres, it, it's better for walkability, it's, it's less um, having to use cars all the time for people who live in those urban areas, and it allows us to create more supply within the boundaries of the current existing urban um, footprint, rather than building out onto our, um, our most precious resources, which are nature and agriculture. So that's what I would say for that. Uh, did you have any follow-up on that? Just a couple of things. Uh, one, you can order your trees right now through... You can order your trees right now through the conservation. That's I'll right. go on their website. Yeah. And the other thing is April 28th is their annual tree sale. Is yeah. that is that Saugeen or...? or Saugeen, yes. Okay, okay. Because I believe Grace Sauble offers one as well if you live north of here. As a tree sales too. Um, but the, the, tree, the trees that are available through the soggy conservation are heavily subsidized, great prices and great quality, so that's definitely where you want to go. Um, get your trees. Yes, John. Um, yeah, Santa Cruz does have a nice amount of trees. They're also, a lot of these trees are very old. So I don't suspect we're going to have them for a great long time. Um, there's a lot of new subdivisions, and I always felt that there should be a bylaw where every homeowner building a new home, they need to have a tree planted on that yard at the front, a, a native tree. So based on what I think, <laughs> how do you go about, or how would you suggest a, a community having a tree planting program? I know some towns do. I don't believe they ever does. Any suggestions for that, John? Uh, there, so there, there just seems to be the political appetite for it, um, and it seems to be the more urbanized the area becomes, the more the appetite, um, the heavily the appetite um, becomes for that, those kinds of initiatives. And that goes back to the um, what I was saying about you don't know what you have until it's gone a lot of times. So it, it comes down to um, having the political pressure to implement some of those programs. So working with your um, municipality is the best way to get that those kind of initiatives implemented. But a lot of times in a small municipality, it's not the top priority right away because there's such easy access to natural areas surrounding it. But it would be in the benefit of the long-term um, prosperity of Hanover to get ahead of the, the curveball and implement something like that. Um, because most people do take their own initiative to, to do that, but it would just provide more support and means to ensure that everyone um, is doing that. So I would definitely support something like that. And I think it, you just need the political will to help you implement that. Do you have more trees? 
No, unfortunately that's a very aggressive species and they grow in wet areas. Sugar maples don't really like wet areas as much, but still they can grow under trees. They can, so it's a, it's a separate issue. Um, but the, the whole issue of invasive species is a very um, dangerous thing for our ecosystems that we need to see, stay vigilant about. The, um, the roadside planning initiative, if the township were to do that, if, are there any sort of, um, is there an onus on the township, I guess, to get permission from the landowners or do they do it on the township right away? They, um, should, they should do it on the township right away unless they get permission from the landowners. But I mean, the, the, road, the road allowance is quite large and that's how we've done it historically. That's, that's why this exists. So I think that they should do it on their own land and go ahead with, um, I, I, I don't see a problem with consulting um, landowners, but I can't imagine many would be really against it, especially if there was an educational aspect to it as well, about why it was happening. Before we moved to Hanover, we lived in, uh, in Brand County, and there was a, a gentleman there who was uh, a, a great proponent of, of roadside planning, and he actually, uh, would buy upwards of 200 maple trees uh, every couple of years, I think. And then he would get a bunch of people, students and that sort of thing. And he'd go around to the property owners and say, would you like to have a sugar maple on your on your property? So it would back off the road enough that you know it wasn't going to be uh, a problem with road salt and all that, that yeah. kind of thing. But um, it, he was a great plan. Yeah, that's, that's great and, and that's kind of important to consult with people who've done it before because we're definitely not the first municipality to have these types of issues so to work and identify best practices is definitely important there's a lot of different approaches you can take um, to achieve that goal so whether it's on private property or public property it doesn't really matter the, the part that matters is we start doing something about it now yep Ecological changes. Yeah. Is there any particular uh, Carolinian trees that there's you a, would suggest that could buffer? There's a lot. It's a okay. whole forest down there. Um, but just some of them that you would be familiar with is tulip trees. So that's okay. a that's a familiar one. Um, Which ones are more hardy? I guess is what I'm asking. That we could. There, there's a lot. Like if you just Google Carolinian species, you'd be you'd be surprised how many are quite familiar to you because they're already being planted. But again, if I was to say like give you a percent, and I I've been looking for research on this for so long to suggest what percentage of contingency we should actually plant, but it should only be like ten percent. So don't if you're gonna go buy a tree, don't go and buy that one Carolinian because the landscape industry and nursery industry is already marketing those trees so heavily that they are already kind of existing our landscape. The best thing you could do is go buy that white pine that's not beautiful and plant it because that's the one that doesn't get the, the quick hit from people as much, but you're the one that would be um, aware of its benefits and taking on the side of, okay, maybe it's not the most like extravagant tree right now, but it's the best thing we can do for our landscape and for the downstream ecology. All right, well, thank you so much, everyone.